Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. Today's topic is the broken window fallacy. We're coming to you today again from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we seek to build an audio library of podcasts on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to talk about the broken windows fallacy. You may or may not have heard of the broken windows fallacy before, but it's a very important public policy principle that is an illustration that helps us think through a number of different kinds of policy problems. The broken windows fallacy comes to us from Frederick Bastiat, an enormously important French lawyer and economist. If you want to read him, and you should, uh, it's spelled B-A-S-T-I-A-T. So you can look up Frederick Bastiat. Start with his little pamphlet entitled The Law, which is probably the most important thing that he's written. But what we're talking about today comes from his essay, What is Seen and What is Not Seen. And in that essay, Bastiat lays out the following illustration. A business owner, let's say a baker, has a broken window. His uh, son or daughter are out throwing a baseball around in the, in the side yard, and it accidentally hits the window and breaks the window, so he has to get it fixed. And so the point of the illustration, well, the illustration has, has numerous points, but the idea here is, yes, a broken window is great for the window company. Uh, Bastiat calls the window guy a glazier, but of course, that's an odd word that not a lot of people know, so I'll probably say window company. So because of the broken window, it's good for the, bro- it's good for the window company. They get new business. In fact, uh, the owner of the window company might be very pleased that the boy threw a baseball through the window. So the businessman, the baker, has to spend $100 on a new window. And so the window company gets an additional $100 order that they would not have had. So some people look at that and say, wow, uh, that really contributed to economic growth. That was good for the economy. It's bad that he broke the window, but it's good for the economy because it created new business. But it's not good for the economy, and it's not real economic growth. Because, again, of what Bastiat referred to as what is seen and what is unseen. We see the new $100 that goes to the window company to fix the broken window. But what we don't see is what the baker would have done with that $100 had the window not been broken. He might have gone out and bought a new pair of shoes for $100. So we see the new business for the window company, but we don't see the lost business for the shoe company or whatever else the baker would have done with that So the economic activity that results from the broken window is not economic growth. It's just substitution. If you only look at the window company, you're only looking at one side of the ledger. It is a gain for the window company, but it is a true loss to the baker, and it's a true loss to whoever the baker would have spent that $100 with. Now, if a broken window is a good thing for the economy, if it does cause economic growth and Maybe we should go all around town smashing in windows. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? That would cause economic growth. Well, I mean, duh. Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. Or as Bastiat suggested in his essay, why not burn down Paris? Think about all of the incredible economic growth that would cause. But of course, the broken window fallacy 
reminds us that no, that's not really economic growth. When there's some kind of a disaster or loss, it is not a silver lining that the loss necessitates increased economic activity by some. Hurricanes and earthquakes and storms are not good for the economy. They do not benefit the economy, and they don't cause economic growth, even if they are good for certain kinds of vendors and certain businesses. Even losses covered by insurance companies are still losses to someone, the insurance company, the investors in the insurance company, or the employees of the insurance company. So that's the broken windows fallacy. Now, there are several really important lessons, three in fact, that I want to focus on, that the broken windows fallacy helps us to understand how to think about policy issues. The first one is that economic activity is not the same thing as economic growth. Now, we're going to do an entire Policy Basics podcast on the idea of what is economic growth and why it's important. But for now, economic growth is increased production. It's a net increase. It is additional production, not substitution. So when we talk about economic growth, we're talking about growth in GDP, growth domestic product. It's how much the economy produces. It's not simply talking about economic activity. Now, this may sound like a tedious distinction, but it's not, because an awful lot of times when politicians talk about doing certain things to stimulate economic growth, all they're really doing is stimulating certain kinds of economic activity, certain kinds of transactions at the expense of other kinds of economic activity. If you, for instance, have a tax policy that favors people to buy homes, that's good for the home selling and mortgage industry, but it's not great for the rental industry. So simply having a policy that encourages people to buy and own homes doesn't contribute to economic growth. It might just be substitution or a transfer of one kind of economic activity for another kind of activity. Now, there have been several recent examples of this in history. Uh, During the Obama administration, President Obama would frequently talk about the need to grow the economy, and then he would immediately give examples of economic growth, and he would talk about hiring more teachers and more policemen and more firemen. Well, that's not economic growth. That's economic activity. And whatever money might have gone toward hiring more teachers and more policemen and more firemen would have gone away from something that it would have something else that it would have been spent on. So that's not economic growth. And of course, throughout the Obama administration, we at IPI felt that the Obama administration was very confused about what economic growth actually is. But confusion about economic growth is not limited to Democrats. During the George W. Bush administration, again, in order to try to stimulate economic growth, the government mailed out $300 checks to American families uh, to quote-unquote, put more money in their pockets to grow the economy. Well, borrowing money from China or borrowing money from future American generations so that it can be spent now is not economic growth. Getting a check from the government so that I can go out and buy a new pair of shoes is not economic growth. It doesn't encourage more production. It just It just is a substitution of one kind of economic activity, one use of money, for another kind of economic activity. As we record this podcast, the nation is in the midst of the grip of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was legislation by the U.S. government that, that gave money to U.S. businesses 
so that they could keep their employees on hand, and there were checks that went out to American families. Now, we at IPI thought that in general that was a justifiable policy, but we were very careful to explain to people that this is not being done to stimulate economic growth. It is being done as a form of relief to keep families intact and to keep employers uh, keeping their employees on the staff and to keep businesses functioning. But a lot of people went on cable TV and talked about how this is going to be great for the economy and it's going to cause economic growth. No, it didn't cause any economic growth. And it's important for us to remember that there is a difference between economic activity and economic growth. As we record this podcast, there's a lot of excitement about the fact that the economy just showed good economic growth numbers in the past quarter. And of course, that's wonderful. But will the U.S. economy be bigger at the end of 2020 than it was at the end of 2019? We still don't know that. So economic growth is not simply various kinds of economic activity. Economic growth is an economy that is producing more now than it did before. And so we really need to be very careful in thinking about policy to not confuse transactions or economic activity with economic growth. So that's the first important lesson from the broken windows fallacy. The second important lesson is that loss is loss. There is such a thing as loss. Uh, In our illustration of the broken windows fallacy, if the window had not been broken, the baker would have had a window and a pair of shoes. But because the window was broken, he only had a window and he didn't have a pair of shoes. He experienced a real loss. Hurricanes, national disasters, COVID-19, bankruptcies, these are real losses and they aren't good and there's no silver lining and they're not good for the economy. So this is why we do what we can to mitigate against loss, to prevent loss, and to compensate for loss, but we should not confuse the things we do to mitigate loss with economic growth. And the third and perhaps most interesting lesson from the broken windows fallacy is that which is seen and that which is unseen. Remember, we see the window get fixed, we see the business for the glass company, but we don't see all of the other things that cascade from that. We don't see the fact that the shoe company was not able to sell a pair of shoes. And this takes us into the idea of the law of unintended consequences. And yes, we'll probably do a special episode just on the law of unintended consequences. But for now, it's very important to remember that anytime there's a change in policy, that change causes a series of consequences, some that can be foreseen and some that cannot be foreseen. And we need to always remember when we change the tax code, when we change some regulation, we may be trying to accomplish a certain thing by doing that, but we're also going to end up accomplishing other things that we may or may not have intended as a result of that policy change. And a great example of that was during the Clinton administration, uh, when the Democratic Party controlled both houses of Congress and the White House, they decided that a really great thing to do to raise more revenue and to stick it to the wealthy was to to do something called a luxury tax. And so the country implemented a luxury tax, and it was a special additional sales tax on the kinds of things that rich people buy, jewelry and boats and yachts and things like that. So the intended purpose of the luxury tax, as I said, was to stick it to the wealthy and raise more revenue. That's what could be seen. 
But what was unseen was the fact that there's a whole bunch of plain old middle class Joe Schmoes who work in the boat building business and who sell jewelry behind the counter and who repair boats and who wash boats and who work at marinas. And it became clear very soon that the luxury tax was a disaster. Because you don't have to buy a yacht in America, you can buy it somewhere else. You don't have to buy an expensive watch in America, you can buy it somewhere else. The wealthy were able to avoid the tax, and the people who were really impacted by the tax were working class people in those industries. And so the luxury tax, after it became clear what a disaster it was, was repealed by Congress. Now, we at IPI would argue that you should have been able to foresee those consequences, but the people in government that were implementing the policy did not foresee those consequences. All they had were visions of sugar plums dancing in their head, more tax revenue, and then being able to tell their voters that they had gone after the rich. But it didn't work out that way. So we've always got to remember in policy, there's that which is seen, and then there is that which is unseen. And this is one of the important lessons of the broken windows fallacy. Now, for some of you out there who are very interested in policy, this may remind you of the famous knowledge problem that was described by Hayek. And you're right, but we're not going to talk about that today. That will be another future episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. So for now, that's the broken windows fallacy. We hope this was helpful to you. We hope you learned something. Find out more about various public policy issues at our website at IPI.org. Thank you for joining us. We hope this was helpful, and we'll see you next time.